Greetings and salutations out there, sports fans all across the wide and wonderful internet. Time for another glorious and humble edition of the Modern Day Gladiators podcast here on the Outlander Media Network. Man, it has been a great week. I am in a fantastic mood. Your humble host, Michael Shibley, with you here, still the ace of Tennessee sports podcasting. I hope you guys have had a wonderful week. I'm in a great mood. My beloved Vols getting back in the win column, which is huge. And of course, all the craziness going on in college football. We've got some great women athletes getting things done. It's going to be amazing. Shibbles and Bits is loaded with tons of stuff. And of course, everything happening in the world of professional wrestling as the Wednesday Night Wars entered week two. But of course, first, let's dive into the world of college football. And we got to start with my top four for the playoff right now. So that is if the playoffs had to happen next week, here are all the teams that I've got in it right now. And again, this is based on performances I have on the field as of right now. I'm not going on presumption. This is who I've got in based on everything I've seen up to this point. Number one, LSU. A tremendous win against Florida. They were great. They moved up to number two in the AP poll. They even jumped over Clemson. And uh, they beat Florida 42-28. to Death Valley was rocking in Baton Rouge. Just a tremendous atmosphere there. So, of course, you've got some big things happening there. Uh, I've got number two, Ohio State. I think Ohio State has been phenomenal so far this season. Yes, and we keep talking about it. They have a lot of these big games are coming to the horseshoe. But, hey, they're taking care of business. They are on fire, really, to me. When it looks like what we've got going on, they do have to go on the road coming up this week to face Northwestern, but Northwestern, I don't know, they're at one and four and having some problems. It's a Friday night game, which is interesting for the Big Ten. You don't see that a whole lot, but I just don't feel good about that one. So probably not going to be the best matchups I've still got Ohio State winning that one big. Alabama, I do finally have in my college football playoff. They looked really solid against Texas A&M. They just keep on rolling. That phalanx of just great wide receivers that they have. My goodness. Just a, a wealth of riches. It's wonderful to see all of just that. If you are an Alabama fan, if you're anybody else, man, any just they just throw... Tua can throw a slant to any of these wide receivers, and then any of them can just take it to the house. I mean, you're going to have to see by the end of this season, they might lead, just have the overall lead in yards after catch the way these guys have everything. And of course, Alabama and Tennessee facing each other in the third Saturday in October. And of course, again, all the in-depth conversations we'll have about college football You can check out the Friday-Saturday edition of Modern Day Gladiators, Trey Pack and myself, breaking much more of this down in detail as we hash out everything there. But then, of course, my number four team, I've got Oklahoma. Oklahoma getting the big win over Texas in the rivalry game, 34-27. Jalen Hurts has just been phenomenal. Terrible, terrible tackling by the Texas secondary. I don't know why they keep calling themselves or try and call themselves DBU. There's nothing there. My goodness, that was awful by Texas with some of the tackling. You look on some of those plays. So that's my four if the college football playoff started today. Meanwhile, of course, the big news, you look at one of the biggest vacancies 
in the college football playoff at this point, and that is the Georgia Bulldogs because they got upset in the first big upset of the 2019 college football season. South Carolina goes between the hedges and beats Georgia 20-17 to in double overtime, and this one was way more of a, just a classic upset, unlike the Tennessee ups- uh, getting upset by Georgia State to start the season. My goodness, you have uh, where Tennessee pretty much just got outplayed in that game and out got out-schemed and out-coached and everything. South Carolina, they did, hey, they came to play. Trust me, they were not backing down. You're not going to back down from an SEC East rival at all. Jake Fromm had three interceptions, and then uh, Ricardo Bla- Rodrigo Blankenship, he missed Two field goals, one that would have won the game and then one to extend the game to the next overtime, but he missed it, and that's how South Carolina ended up winning the game. So when weird things like that happen, I'm guessing Blankenship just did not have his glasses on or got a bad prescription or something because the guy doesn't miss. He didn't miss at all against Tennessee. He barely misses. That's just amazing to me. So when weird things like that happen, that's how upsets happen, especially on these just you know, lazy noon games that can start like that. So you look at all of those things, but people are just wanting to bury Georgia's playoff hopes. Georgia, again, they're not sunk at all. They still have everything complete to play for. Division championship, SEC championship, and the playoff. Pretty much though now, their safety net is gone. They can't lose again. They can't lose again. Even if they win the East, then they're just playing spoiler in the national or in the SEC championship game, if they end up beating Alabama or LSU, who's probably going to be the other team in there. So Georgia, again, just like Clemson, who I have on the outside looking in, but again, we'll see what happens by the end of it. Clemson, because the ACC is just so god awful. I mean, think about this: all the other teams in the ACC besides Wake Forest, who lost to Louisville in a basketball score. This last week, all the other teams in the ACC have at least two losses besides Clemson and Wake Forest now with their first loss. So someone from the ACC is going to have to rise up and play Clemson in the ACC championship game. Clemson, of course, taking care of Florida State. Remember when that used to be a good rivalry game? it's, It's not right now. So that's something to look out for. But when you look at things like that, Georgia just now has no safety net. They're one loss, but if they run the rest of their schedule, they beat Florida and Jacksonville, they take care of Auburn, and then they beat probably Alabama or LSU in the SEC championship game, they're right in the playoffs for the for the most part. The pers- the team I think this hurts more is Notre Dame because then it drops the the win that Notre Dame or the loss that Notre Dame had drops them a little bit down because now if Georgia runs the table, they're going to be in still over Notre Dame. So I think that does uh, bother them a little bit. You look at some of the other big action that happened over the weekend. Wisconsin just continuing to play incredible defense and beating up on the state of Michigan. They blew out Michigan a couple of weeks ago, and now they played Michigan State, and they beat Sparty 38-0. My goodness, they are playing just throwback, great defense. It's amazing to see, and they're just running the ball. Taylor, an amazing running back. He's going to be a first-round draft pick. I'm very high on him. And then you have 
Uh, Notre Dame and USC, we mentioned Notre Dame earlier. They took care of business in the Battle of the Jeweled Shillelagh. They did let USC come back into it, but Notre Dame still wins 30-27. And then, of course, you've got Penn State over Iowa. You had, of course, the big matchup there at Kinnick Stadium. Uh, Penn State getting the win, though, 17-12. So they were able to get the big road win there for Penn State, which, of course, makes uh, this week it's going to be the big game day game as uh, they're there and a whiteout has been declared as Penn State is going to host Michigan primetime on ABC. Always just an incredible atmosphere when Penn State does the whiteout. So we're looking forward to that one. And of course, the other ranked versus ranked matchup, you've only got two of them. Actually, you got three of them, but the rest of them are in the Pac-10 when you look at everything. And this is one of the things that sucks about the fact that you don't have conference champions guaranteed in the college football playoff. This is, again, I'm going to keep arguing until it gets to this point. I think there needs to be an eight-team college football playoff. That means you're going to get the five major conference champions. If a group of five team is able to meet certain requirements, I think they should be in as well. And then you're going to get two wildcard teams. That would be, I think, the best solution for everybody. But we don't have that. So now you've got some great matchups out west that everybody should check out. The first one being Arizona State and Utah. That's happening, which again, Herm Edwards has done just a tremendous job. And a lot of people had doubts that Herm Edwards was going to be a good college coach, but he's got the Sun Devils at 17th in the country and riding high right now. And they're facing a Utah team that when they apparently have no net to play with or aren't undefeated or trying to not be the the face of the Pac-12, they do a lot better. I mean, they blew out, of course, they blew out Oregon State because everybody blows out Oregon State. So you have that. But then the other matchup is a really, really good one as well. You've got Oregon taking on Washington. And Washington, of course, barely hanging on to the top 25. Eason, going to be an NFL quarterback most likely next season. But then you've got Herbert, again, another top quarterback. He's going to go, of course, into the NFL draft and be playing on Sundays next season as well. Oregon, unfortunately, at 12, they're really good. If you, People, of course, completely wrote them off after they lost to Auburn. But, I mean, if they run the table and some of these upsets happen and Auburn remains competitive – then Oregon is going to have a say in this somewhere. But I think there's still, unless some of these upsets happen, Oregon is still also, though, going to be on the outside looking in, which was is a shame because they're playing also great defense. Even in the Pac-12, they're playing phenomenal defense, which has been great to see. I just wish, again, they could get a shake and they shouldn't be completely punished for that opening game that they played against Auburn. And of course, we've got to finish up this college football segment talking about my beloved Tennessee Vols beating Mississippi State 20-10. to My goodness, what a great atmosphere in Neyland Stadium. And you had, this was a story of people stepping up. There's an old saying, those who stay will play. And it's just a proving don't quit as much as you talk about players who can jump into the transfer portal and leave and do so many of these different things. Jarrett Garantano decided, you know, he came in. Brian Maurer started off well, I say. He made some great plays, both with his legs and with his arm. 
except he did throw two red zone interceptions in the end zone, and those were definitely more high school quarterback style plays, where in high school you're going to make that uh, touchdown or you're going to make something happen, where in college you've got to throw those balls away or look for the check down. You can't force things like that, and that cost him. If not for those two interceptions, I mean, Tennessee could have been up to in the first half at least 17 or 21 to nothing or to three at that point, but instead the two interceptions happened. Then Maurer on a run where he got knocked head over heels, landed on his head, ended up with a concussion. Uh, Jared Garantano stepped in again, two boos, which does really bother me. You shouldn't boo a college kid. I trust me. I understand why fans would want to boo. I understand. You still shouldn't do it. It's still a college kid. This is not a professional. He's not getting paid. Anything like that. So just cool your jets. And hey, he came in. It looked like Tennessee for a while was just going to run nothing but old school general Neyland style single wing offense by just doing nothing but run the ball. But they were able to control it. They got the field goal at the end of the first half. And then they ran it. They made some great plays when they needed to. I mean, Garantano only threw one incomplete pass, and that was just through the hands of Jennings, who should have come came down with that ball. So again, it was really conservative, but you look also at what happened where the touchdown that put pretty much put this game away because Tennessee was up 13 to uh, 13 to three, but then Mississippi State drove down the field. They got a touchdown, made it 13 to 10. Tennessee was backed up all the way to their own 10 yard line. I think they had a penalty on the kickoff. Something along those lines. But they were backed all the way up. They were able to run the ball out of the end zone. They were really doing a great job of controlling the clock. They made some great third down plays. They really made things happen the way they wanted to. Now, again, Pruitt knows this. He even mentioned it in the post-game press conference. Tennessee is not going to be able just to win games like this all season long. We know this. We all know that. But it looked like these were the decisions that they were going to make to win this game right here. And they did it. They executed, but it just seemed like Tennessee was going to drive down and kick a field goal to make it 16 to 10, which in just typical this Tennessee team fashion, it was going to leave Mississippi State the ability to drive down with enough time to score a touchdown, kicks the extra point, and win the game. It just seemed to be what was going to happen, but that didn't happen. Garantano made it look like on a run-pass option, It looked like with the receivers blocking downfield, made a great little hitch throw to Tyler Bird, a guy who some people even forgot was still on this team, and made a great, Tyler Bird made a great cut. He ran around and just ran into the end zone for a touchdown, giving Tennessee a 10-point lead, and the defense was able to hold and keep Mississippi State from scoring any more points. And Tennessee wins the game 20-10. to 10. But hats off to a guy like Tyler Bird, who came in with a lot of promise, a big recruit, somebody who we expected a lot of great things from. It had not panned out for him, but the guy stays in the practice facility. He puts in the work. They monitor on GPS now how many steps and how many strides and everything you take. He's by far the most. So he gets rewarded with a little bit of playing time. He makes the most of it. He has his moment. That's just great moments you see, and that's why I love college football so much for moments like that. 
But a big thing, of course, this was the best offense and defensive line play that Tennessee has had in a long time. They were able to sack no matter who was the quarterback for Mississippi State. And the big thing on defense as well is SEC leading rusher going into the game, uh, Kylan Hill, he was only held to 13 yards on 11 carries, so they frustrated the daylights out of him and were able to take that away from Mississippi State and force them to try and win the game with their quarterbacks, and they couldn't get it done, made um, three interceptions. The defense played outstanding, and the offensive line, who I've given a lot of grief to over the years, did, I think, their best game to date. When you look again, though, at some of the wins against Auburn and Kentucky, it's right up there with them. When they can gel and things work well, great things can happen. So I feel good. It does give better bowl chances for Tennessee. Now, they're playing Alabama. The line is 35 points. Uh, That game's probably not going to be over until about 1 a.m. Eastern time because it starts at 9, which is always exciting to watch a 9 p.m. game in the central time zone. But whatever, that's what we got to deal with. But after that Alabama game, you look at so many of these other games. And again, we're going to break more of this down. But South Carolina, they did just come off this huge win against the Georgia Bulldogs, but I think they're playing Florida next, if I'm not mistaken. So you got to watch out for that one. UAB, we've got a good chance of winning that one. Kentucky, who knows what Kentucky team is going to show up. They did beat Arkansas with a quarterback, with a wide receiver playing quarterback there. Missouri, Missouri's, I think, out of the remaining people after Alabama is probably going to be the biggest challenge for Tennessee. Now, Tennessee is going to be coming off a bye week going into that game, and Missouri is coming off playing Florida. So there is an advantage there for Tennessee. We'll just have to see what happens, of course, late into the season. And then Vanderbilt, which is just a game, no matter if we're playing for a bowl game or not, Tennessee just needs to win that game. We've lost three straight to Vanderbilt. That needs to end now. And again, that is my opinion. I could be wrong, but I do love, at least now, that things have played out better for Tennessee. They've gotten themselves into this situation, and hopefully they're going to get themselves out of it and play their way out of it and at least make it to a bowl game. The options are there, and we'll see. I do, the argument is always, should uh, Maurer or Garantano play? If Maurer is cleared by the doctors and 100% ready to go, I put him in against Alabama because you got to still let the kid learn some things. And maybe getting beat up, not again in an injury way, but getting pushed around by Alabama and seeing what a top team looks like, get him in there, let him learn a few more things, and I'd have him in that situation. I would not just play Garantano and just play just to not get anybody completely murdered against Alabama. You still play to win the damn game at that point. Now, if it's you're down 35 points and you don't want anybody to get injured, then put in the other people. But it, at the start, you play to win the damn game. That's just what I feel. You want to debate me? Hit me up at Michael underscore Shibley on Twitter or, of course, on the Facebook group, Modern Day Gladiators, or on Instagram, Modern Day Gladiators. Hit us up there. We can have this conversation. I want to have it all day long. And, of course, you can listen to Outlander Media, all the great podcasts we've got, DLC Respawn, Deadbeat Radio, uh, Haffle. My goodness, we've got uh, Scared Stupid, Geeks Inherited the Earth, just so many just great podcast, outlandermedia.net. You can listen to them all there. And of course, you can download all of them as well 
at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Play. And please give us those five-star reviews. Rate, review, subscribe, comment. We need to hear from you. We are, we've got some big things heading our way. You want to get on board now and help us take over the podcasting world. We want you to help us out there. So check us all out there. And of course, just do all the great, great things that you guys have been doing. We appreciate all the listeners that we do have to the great podcast, including this one, Modern Day Gladiators. But before we go to break, let's talk baseball really quickly. As my goodness, we're down to the championship series. It was, again, with the Cardinals uh, playing the Nationals. Of course, the Cardinals got rid of the Braves because death taxes Braves gagging in the postseason. That's just what happens. That's inevitable. It's always going to happen. So you have that. But my goodness, the Nationals have come up after, again, that grand slam they had against the Dodgers. My goodness, what a just a that that might be the, the straw that just breaks the curse of just the pitifulness of the Nationals. They're up three nothing after just dominant pitching from all their pitchers. Scherzer and Sanchez both had no hitters going into the back half of their games, so they played amazing. And then Strasburg, I think, had 12 strikeouts last night as of this recording. They got a chance today to sweep the Cardinals out. We'll see. Of course, we'll talk more about that and bring it up on all the Modern Day Gladiators social media pages if they are able to get it done. But the Nationals, again, that starting pitching is carrying them so far. They're riding it, and it's working out for them so far. We'll see if they're able to sweep out the Cardinals. The Cardinals, one of those teams where, again, I'm not going to call them dead until they're dead. Yes, it's a 3-0 hole, and only the Red Sox have gotten out of it against the Yankees in that immortal 2004 ALCS. But again, the Cardinals are just one of those teams that just know how to win and stay the course. We'll see if they're able to finally get their bats going. But I don't see that happening. I'm sure the Nationals just want to close it out tonight. You move over to the NLC or the uh, uh, the ALCS. That was the NLCS with the Nationals and the Cardinals. The ALCS, the Astros and Yankees. As of this current moment, they are tied at one game apiece. And of course, the uh, those games happening over in Houston. Of course, Houston getting the win in Game Two with the walk off home run by Carlos Correa in extra innings. Uh, of course, the Yankees won Game One, seven to nothing. Game Three happening as I'm recording this right now. Of course, Garrett Cole has been dealing. He has been on fire. Uh, the Houston Astros look like again, barring anything happening, the Yankees are down to I think they've only got five outs left in this game. The uh, Houston Astros up four nil over the Yankees, and it is in the bottom of the eighth with one out as of this recording. If the game goes final while I'm recording it, of course you can check it out uh, wherever you get your fine podcast, or just run over and check the score. I'll let you know. We'll see what happens as we continue to record. We are going to take a quick break, but we are back with just a boatload of great stuff on shibbles and bits. You're listening to the Modern Day Gladiators podcast on the Outlander Media Network. Yes, welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. You hear the music. You know it's time for Shibbles and Bits here on Modern Day Gladiators. But of course, before we get into all the bits, and trust me, 
You can hear I've got a thick sack of stuff here to talk about on this half of Shibbles and Bits. We've got, of course, thank the great sponsors here with Outlander Media, and that is Joe Shirt and Otherworldly Coffee. Of course, Joe Shirt, if you are looking to expand your brand and get that name out there, no matter what it is, whether you're a stand-up comedian, flag football team, a small business, large business, whatever you have and you want to get those words out anywhere uh, in the physical form, my goodness, Joe Shirt can definitely help you. They've got great t-shirts. They've got just great ideas to help you. They can work with you. Whatever your budget is, they can come up with a plan to help you. And they've got great, just soft, amazing shirts. Check them all out. Again, JoeShirt.com. They've been in business in Knoxville for over 30 years, so they know what they're doing. They are amazing. They totally reek of awesomeness. And, of course, we'd love to have them here with us at Outlander Media. And, of course, our other sponsor, Otherworldly Coffee. You go to OtherworldlyCoffee.com. You can check out all the great ones. You've got the Dogman Blend. They've got the, the, the Wolfman Blend, the Mothman Blend, all these. If you are someone who thinks they're drinking probably too many energy drinks, you can back off. Have a great cup of coffee to start the day. This is just amazing stuff. If you've got a coffee grinder, it's the stuff you need to get you through your day. They're amazing. You go to otherworldlycoffee.com. If you use the code OUTLANDER, use all caps. We had a meeting about that. You have to use all caps, but use the code OUTLANDER at checkout. You're going to get 20% off your next order. It's a fifth off of your order. It's amazing. Hey, and they're gonna that's gonna take care of at least the shipping and the taxes. Probably more than that, my goodness. So again, thanks to Joe Shirt and Otherworldly Coffee for helping us here at Outlander Media. But let's dive into shibbles and bits. My goodness, we gotta lead off though. Yes, there's stuff with LeBron that we'll get to here in a minute by him. It, we'll get into that in a sec. But my goodness, ladies out there are doing some work. There's some just amazing athletic accomplishments by some great women athletes. Just go, great athletes, no matter what, happening around the world. And we've got to start off with one of America's great Olympians. I mean, she's right up there with Michael Phelps and all the other great Olympians that we've got. Carl Lewis, Jackie Joyner, Kersey, Florence Griffith Joyner, all, just any, just name any great Olympian. Simone Biles has to be one of them. She won her 25th medal, most ever total, at the World Championship. So over her course of being a gymnast at the World Championship, she has now won 25 total medals. She won her 24th on the balance beam, and then she uh, added her 25th. Uh, on the floor exercise just a couple of hours later. It was amazing to see, again, just an amazing event. And she's just just so crazy. Uh, I mean, she won the floor exercise by a full point despite a step out of bounds on one pass and blew kisses to the audience after finishing the routine. That's how just amazing and incredible she is, including the degree of difficulty that she does. Teammate uh, at the U.S., Sunisa Lee, took silver, and her third medal of the championships. So that's something as well. But my goodness, it's just amazing to see what Biles has done. Out of those 25 career world championship medals, 19 have been gold. So just blowing people out of the water. It's amazing to see she's done so well. And that, of course, includes at this world championships. My goodness, 
She has five medals in individual events. She won the team gold with Team USA, and then she, of course, won the individual all-around gold medal as well. So, And that's the fifth time she's won that, which is more than anybody else has won. So, my goodness, my hat's off to Simone Biles. I love her. I can't wait to see her in a year's time at the 2020 Olympics in Tokyo. It's going to be amazing to see. But of course, also, you talk about young, great Americans doing work. Coco Goff, we know know her from over the summer where she made some runs into the fourth round at Wimbledon and the third round at the U.S. Open. She went out and finally won her first ever WTA Tour title, beating, uh, I think, uh, from Latvia, I believe, yes, Latvia, Jelena Ostapenko, 6-3-1-6-6-2 on Sunday to win the Linz Open there. My goodness, it was just amazing to see. Uh, She had a little late wobble. She raced out to a 5-0 lead in the third set, uh, and then Goff dropped two games, but then, hey, finished off uh, Ostapenko there. My goodness, she replaced... Goff, though, also got very lucky to get into this tournament because she replaced the injured sixth seed Maria Sakari, having initially failed to make the main draw after uh, losing in qualifying, but she was able to get it out there. And then uh, she's going to now, after winning in the second round, she's going to now have a place in the top 100 of the women's rankings. So that was just amazing to see. And again, Coco Golf, we've got big things for her. Uh, I hope she can live up to everything. My goodness. I mean, 15 years old, just thinking of what I was doing at 15, not winning world tennis championships. So my goodness, hats off to Coco Goff. I just can't, I just, I want to root for her every time she's playing. Also, you talk about another great women's uh match or or event that happened. The Chicago Marathon happened over the weekend, and we have a new world record in the women's marathon. Uh, Brigrid Kosegi of Kenya won the Chicago Marathon in 2 hours, 14 minutes, and 4 seconds. The 25-year-old Kenyan, she bested the previous mark of 2 hours, 15 minutes, and 25 seconds, uh, set by Paula Radcliffe in London 16 years ago. So, Congratulations to her. Again, just women doing some great work over the weekend. My hat's off to all of them. Just amazing athletic feats. It was amazing to see. So congratulations to all of them. Speaking of other just great athletic uh, marks, the men getting it done as well. Another Kenyan distance runner, of course. Kenyan uh, Ulid Kipche, I believe is his name. Some of these... You know, names I get a little off on, and I apologize for that. He is the first ever distance runner to run a marathon in one hour, 59 minutes, 40.2 seconds on Saturday. So he was able to be the first person to run a marathon in under two hours. You think about that, 26.2 miles. So the man is running, on average, over 13 miles an hour. That's just an amazing feat to see, and he was able to do it. Now, again, there is some uh, instance here where, again, he was able to get this done, but he trained four and a half months for this race. Now, he is the Olympic champion and the world record holder, but the IAAF, the track and field governing body, is not going to ratify the time as a world record because he did... Uh, have 36 pacemakers who accompanied him in alternating groups to kind of help 
like a, like a pace car and different things like that. So he had help, but still, the fact that he was able, a, a human being was able to run 26.2 miles in under two hours is just an amazing feat. And congratulations to him for delivering that. Now, of course, we move to the NBA because, again, this story with the NBA and China is just not going to go away. Of course, there were a lot of people waiting to see what the king of social justice, LeBron James, was going to say, and he was asked about it. And he came out and talked about the the Daryl Morey tweet, for those of you who have been living under a rock, he tweeted about democracy and one he's standing with hong kong and of course china got really upset about what a rockets gm had to say about a tweet and of course there's this big debate because they've been pulling a lot of stuff in china meanwhile the u.s especially adam silver and a lot of players have been walking this very fine line because yes there is a massive amount of money to make in china but also the human rights violations that the chinese have been responsible for and especially everything going on now in hong kong then you look at things going on in the world and all these other different things. My goodness, especially because the NBA, including LeBron James, champion themselves as, you know, huge social justice warriors and standing for that. But yet they see all the atrocities going on in China. So you have this, again, this double-edged sword when you go into this. But LeBron James opened up about this last night and talked about how he said that... You know, Daryl Morley wasn't educated before he sent out the tweet about the anti-government protests in Hong Kong and that damaged the relations between the United States and China. You know, he he said, I don't want to get into a verbal feud with Daryl Morley, but I believe he wasn't educated on the situation at hand and he spoke. He also said uh, he was either misinformed or not really educated on the situation. Essentially... James comes out and says, I have no idea, but that's just my belief. Because when you say or do things, if you're doing it, and you know the people that can be affected by it, the families and individuals, and everyone that can be affected by it, sometimes things can be changed as well. And also social media is not always the proper way to go about things as well. But that's just my belief. Of course, then went on Twitter to clear up confusion, saying, you know, my team and this league just went through a difficult week. I think people need to understand what a tweet or statement can do to others. And I believe nobody stopped and considered what would happen. Could have waited a week to send it. So my take on a lot of this is LeBron James is in it for himself when it comes to that. Because he's talking about him being affected and his almost bottom line when you talk about things like that. Because again, LeBron James has been a big champion of social justice. You talk about a lot of things that he, and there's a lot of things that he stands for that are right in this country. You know, criticizing and standing for, you know, uh, Black Lives Matter or, you know, with with things like that, or standing for, you know, criticizing the, the President of the United States or standing about, again, the California Fair Pay for Play Act, things like that. But... Again, he's got his own financial interests in China. And again, to say that Daryl Morley wasn't informed about this, first of all, undergrad at Northwestern, graduate degree from MIT. And also, no, he knew what he was talking about. The guys that he, I, there is no way that he didn't know what he was talking about when he talked about the effect of this. Could he have waited a week? Sure. China was still going to scrub everything. It just happened to be when so many of these players were going to be in China for a lot of these events, 
and over in Asia. So again, it, it's one of these things where LeBron James and people are championing him almost as a modern day modern uh, Muhammad Ali. And again, Muhammad Ali wouldn't have stood for any of the human rights violations going on in over there. I mean, you look at what Muhammad Ali risked to stand up for what he believed in. And you can argue about his stance on Vietnam, but he forfeited some of the best boxing years of his life and the titles that he earned to stand up for those beliefs. And LeBron James, in a lot of what he was saying with this, and, and again, he's talking about you know, everybody's freedom of expression that comes with consequences. Of course it does. But also kneeling to the Chinese and worrying about the bottom dollar that you can make because you've got Space Jam 2 coming out that you're making and you know you want the full rights to have that broadcast in China. So that's something that LeBron James is standing for. My goodness, there's a lot of different things that go on with that. And again, one of the things I think everybody needs to look at too, and I think LeBron James should pay attention to this, is Enos Cantor, who we've talked about on this show before. He, I, I, I don't even remember what team he plays for now. I think he plays for Boston. He's, he's moved around a lot. But he is someone, again, who is a Turkish national, spoken against uh, Hrutep Erdogan, the pretty much dictator in Turkey, and came out and said, here's what Ines Cantor has gone through for speaking his mind about human rights and violations going on in other countries. He hasn't seen or talked to his family in five years. His father was jailed. His siblings can't find jobs. They revoked his Turkish passport. There's an international warrant out for his arrest. His family can't leave the country. He gets death threats every day. He gets attacked. They tried to kidnap him in Indonesia. He was able to work his way back to the U.S., but it took a lot of people getting that way. So again, I think when you look at LeBron talking about freedom of speech and things like that, again, LeBron, I think for a lot of this, is really in it to make sure that it's not jeopardizing him. And again, if you want to sell out, that's fine. Talk about selling out and say like, hey, I make a lot of money in China. I don't want other people screwing that up. But he's not saying that. And Again, he had a week to think of something, and the response that he came up with was not good at all. If you're going to walk a fine line, he did not do a very good job. So, thumbs down to LeBron James for saying a lot of these things that he came out and said about all of that. Whew, my goodness, I have rambled on a lot about some of this stuff, but my goodness, it's stuff that needs to be said. Uh, just real quick, as we move on to some other quick things... Hats off to the Washington Mystics and Elena Deladon for finally winning a WNBA championship. They won a decisive Game 5 over the Connecticut Sun, 89-78. Deladon played uh, that final game with three herniated discs in her back and was able to still score 21 points. So congratulations to the Washington Mystics. It looks like, hey, they might have... Washington might end up starting to become a championship city. Who knows at this point? I mean, the Washington Capitals finally were able to get an NHL Stanley Cup championship uh, two seasons ago. The Mystics are on their way. It looks like, no, on their way. They won the WNBA championship. And just, you know, barring an epic collapse in the uh, NLCS, it looks like the... Uh, 
at least the Washington Nationals are on their way to a World Series. So we'll have to see how all of this happens. Uh, so excitement all around in the nation's capital. Uh, unless, you, of course, you count the Redskins and the Washington Wizards. That's a whole other story that I'm sure we'll talk about more. Well, we'll talk about the Redskins here in a little bit. But a happy trails to a schmuck in the NFL as we wrap up shibbles and bits here. Uh, the Eagles released veteran linebacker Zach Brown. Zach Brown, for those of you who don't know, ran his mouth over the preceding week as the Eagles were going to play the Vikings. He uh, said publicly that when talked about uh, former teammate and now quarterback of the Minnesota Vikings, Kirk Cousins, said his level of play is believed to be the primary factor um or he talked about how uh, Kirk Cousins just, again, that was the weakness that they were going to exploit and said that was the weakest part of their offense was Kirk Cousins. But then when Kirk Cousins threw three touchdown passes and, or th- I'm sorry, four touchdown passes against the Eagles in that 38-20 to Vikings win, then he was asked about it and Brown just refused to comment about it. He's like, I'm here to talk about the game, not about that, he said. Any other questions about Kirk Cousins before finally relenting and saying he did a good job, he played good, hats off to him. But again, he didn't want to talk about it. And it's like, when you run your mouth publicly like that and call somebody out and then you get humbled, no, 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 you have to say, hey, he whipped... I was wrong. Not just, no, not going to a turtle shell. Yes, that is your right, but you look like a complete douchebag when you do that. And guess what? Now he got released. I'm sure another team is going to pick him up, but you got released, dude. Bye-bye. Learn to take your medicine, take a little humble pie, and, you know, just learn. Hopefully he learned a lesson. He probably didn't. We'll have to wait and see. Meanwhile, my NFL power rankings, as we go through another week, the Patriots, I still have number one, but my 49ers up to number two. They took care of the Rams. My goodness. They finally got to play a team in the division. We'll see again how the 49ers go, but the Patriots and the 49ers playing great defense, which is why they are both still undefeated and up in number one and number two in my power rankings. I've got the Saints, who continue to win without Drew Brees. It has been amazing to see what the Saints have been able to do. The Packers having, again, a controversial Monday night win over the Lions, but they still got the win. The Seahawks, again, challenging the 49ers in that division. They went and shut down the Cleveland Browns in Cleveland, which was great. The Texans beating the Chiefs, so I've got the Texans over the Chiefs at 6-7. and seven. The Bills, the only other team with less than two losses besides the Patriots in the AFC. The Ravens, I've got at number 9. The Vikings at 10. The Rams, I still have at 11. Hopefully they can figure some things out. I've got the Panthers at 12. And then I still have the Cowboys in my power rankings at 13, just on the outside of the playoff possibility, but that's mostly because the NFC East is just awful. The Redskins and 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 the and the Giants and the Cowboys, my goodness, and the Eagles, they're all just like, ugh. So a team can back their way into the playoffs and win that division. My bottom five, the Dolphins lost or I guess won the Tua Tonga Bowl, I guess, to get the first pick in the NFL draft. They uh lost to the Redskins. The Bengals still haven't gotten a win either. They're, I've got them at number two. The Redskins somehow miraculously won the game against Miami. What a terrible game that was. The Falcons I've got at number four. The Jets I have at number six because they beat the Cowboys. 
The team I've got at number five is the Cleveland Browns, who I think are better than some of the other teams that could be on this list. They're there for just running their mouths, and everybody was ready to crown them champions in the preseason, and they still haven't done bupkis and aren't able to get any wins of any meaning at this point. So again, they should have just kept their mouth shut. Yes, you can get a lot of great tweet retweets and likes on Instagram for being big and bad, but that doesn't help you on the scoreboard. Can't get it done. Oh, that's wrapping up shivels and bits. Moving quickly to pro wrestling as we wrap things up here on the Modern Day Gladiator podcast. The WWE draft happened over uh, the last SmackDown and Raw. Nothing really interesting or anything. It didn't help the ratings at all, by all means, so that didn't happen. Meanwhile, Blood Buddy... Blood Money in the Bank 4 Crown Jewel is happening in Saudi Arabia on Halloween. And of course, they've got some just matches that would be interesting if they had them in the U.S., but I'm, again, I'm not watching WWE Saudi Arabia shows at all. You've got the five on five big tag team match, Team Hogan versus Team Flair. You've got a big tag team turmoil match to, to decide the best tag team in the world, which I'm sure. Shane McMahon will find a way to win. You've got Braun Strowman versus Tyson Fury, which at least should be interesting, if nothing else. Seth Rollins uh, going against The Fiend in a Falls Count Anywhere match. Uh, Hopefully they didn't completely burn the bridge on Bray Wyatt with The Fiend character. And then, of course, you've got Brock Lesnar defending his WWE Championship against Cain Velasquez, the the last man to defeat him in the UFC. So we should see what happens there. But again, I, I'll i talk about what happens on the show, but I'm not watching those shows at all. Meanwhile, AEW Dynamite continuing to just be awesome and just not insult my intelligence. It's, you know, it's hard enough, as any true wrestling fan like myself knows, it's hard to be a wrestling fan sometimes. But AEW is just not making me feel stupid for watching the show or anything like that. They've just been great. Uh, they had another wonderful show. For their second outing, yes, the ratings were down a little bit, but again, it's not new anymore, so you have things like that. Jericho's new stable with uh, Jake Hager and LAX and Sammy Guevara, they're called the Inner Circle, which is cool. Jericho came off looking like just an incredible star. What a great heel promo he cut there on the latest edition of Dynamite. Going out there as the fans, too, at uh, Jake Hager, who, uh, of course, was in the WWE uh, you know, they were chanting, we the people. That was the old chant he had as Jack Swagger back in the day. Uh, he said, hey, we the people is dead and buried. He shouted at the crowd. It was created by stupid uh, creative. It was dumb to begin with. So stop it. And the crowd stopped. They stopped chanting. It was amazing. It was just a great moment. He's uh, And the next episode here of AEW Dynamite is going to be dynamite. Uh, Jericho has to defend his AEW title against Darby Allen, who came at the end of the show. It was amazing. He came down down the uh, the entrance ramp on a skateboard with a flying knee. Darby Allen used to be a professional skater, so that was a really cool visual to end the show. 
You also have some other great stuff. You've got Riho defending her women's championship against Dr. Britt Baker. You're going to have more tag team tournament matches. There was a great one, of course, to open Dynamite with Private Party pulling the upset on the Young Bucks, who everybody thought was going to win the whole tournament. So that was a great upset to see there. And then you're going to have a tag team match, Kenny Omega and Hangman Page versus Pac and John Moxley. So again, another stacked show on AEW Dynamite. They are still winning the Wednesday Night War so far. AEW, yes, they were down from about 1.4 million down to about a million viewers this week, but again, only 790,000 for NXT, and AEW is also has double the viewers in the big, and of course, the money-making 18 to 49, especially male demographic. So take with that what you will. Great moments there, and of course, another great... Uh, matches for pro wrestling happening. It's great to be a wrestling fan now, really, when you look at it. So that's going to wrap up this episode of Modern Day Gladiators. As we finish up the show, it has just gone final. The Houston Astros defeating the New York Yankees 4-1. to So Houston now leads the series two games to one, which was big for them, especially because they've still got two more games there in the Bronx. But again, that's wrapping up this episode of Modern Day Gladiators. Thank you guys so much for tuning in. Of course, like, subscribe, share wherever you get your podcasts. Give us those five-star reviews. I promise I will love you forever. Until next week, too sweet, I love you. See you next time.